So it's Mother's Day. So I like to try to make women laugh on Mother's Day. So I put together a couple jokes and I had this test audience and they thought two were kind of funny and two weren't that funny. And, and then I gave all four to Alice. She thought all four were kind of funny. And I'm like, it's Mother's Day. We're going to go with all four of them. So here we go. <laughs> we'll see how you do. The definition of a sweater, something you wear when your mother gets cold. Few laughs. Son, dad, do you know the difference between a pack of cookies and a pack of elephants? Dad, no. Son, then it's a good thing mom does the grocery shopping. Aaron, what did the mother bullet say to the daddy bullet? Fran, what? Aaron, we're gonna have a BB. And finally, Mother to son, I'm warning you, if you fall out of that tree and break both your legs, don't come running to me. <laughs> Let's stand. <laughs> All right, we are in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the buyer they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we welcome you into this service. Holy Spirit, it's amazing how you can take a few words and apply it to each life and each person. Would you come fill this house with your presence? Be honored, be glorified, and we will be sure you get all the glory for every good thing that happens here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we are in a series called Uniquely Luke. And in this series, we are doing stories and parables that are only in the book of Luke. And there's 27 of them. And when I was putting this together, I had 27 Sundays left in the year to preach. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. But there was a second confirmation. And that was this. The widow of Nain fell right on Mother's Day. And I'm like, I get to preach this message to the mothers on Mother's Day. So first, I want us to contemplate the context of what is happening. So it's, our text starts with soon afterward. There was a miracle that happened in the previous story of why there is a crowd and what had just happened. And we're going to talk about that in contrast to what happens with the widow at Maine. But first, it says that there was a large crowd with Jesus and there is a large crowd 
at this funeral. And so th- these, are, these are hitting each other and the, the large, cr- large crowd with Jesus is waiting for this other crowd to pass. It would be, it'd be like we had a big church service and God did all kinds of miracles here and as we were dismissing, the, a funeral went past. And, and, and we would all wait as we, as we watched this funeral go past, except in this situation, it's on foot. A buyer is simply a plank that the, that the dead body is on. So the, they're bearing this dead body. So it's like an open casket. And these two crowds converge. And this is where these events happen. It says, soon afterwards. So here's what had happened right before. This centurion comes to, a centurion is a Roman soldier and he's got a hundred soldiers under him. And he is this really important guy, but he's also really connected. The Jewish leaders uh, respect him. And so he sends the Jewish leaders to Jesus. And they are representing the centurion. And they, they say, you, you need to, to come. He's got a servant that is almost dead. And he's, he's requested you to come and he's worthy of you coming. He's, he's a really good guy. He helped us build our synagogue. Would you come? And so Jesus goes with these leaders to, to get to the centurion. And, and before he even gets there, they come out and say, uh, the words of the centurion are this. You don't even have to come. I'm not worthy to have you even come under my roof. But I understand how authority works. I'm, I'm in charge of a bunch of people. I tell them something, they do it. I don't have to watch them do it. They just do it. And I know you have all authority. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus grants his request, but he turns to everybody and says, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. So here's our contrast, okay? Okay. So we got one guy who's very connected. He's an important guy. He's, he's got people under him. He's got people that are willing to represent him. And he's got this servant that there's still hope for because it's even though the servant's at the point of death, the servant is not yet dead. And Jesus is a healer. And so there's still hope. So he goes and he reaches out for Jesus to come. And Jesus is impressed with his great faith. Great faith draws Jesus. When somebody believes him, when somebody is trusting him, when somebody's asking him to come through and believing in his greatness, he is drawn to that. Okay, now we have this woman. She is a widow who has just lost her only son. This is, this in that culture, only men could work. So this means she is going to live in poverty. She probably already has been on the edge, but now it's like cemented in. She has no one to represent her. She's not important. And she doesn't come to Jesus. Jesus comes to her. So it turns out there's a second group that God is drawn to. He's not just drawn to those who believe him in spite of their circumstances and believe him and, and trust God. He's drawn to this second group called the brokenhearted. So this is Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close 
or near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Notice it doesn't say anything in this verse about them asking for his help or them wanting him to come near or them believing he's going to come near. God just comes near. When people are broken, it doesn't matter what faith they are or they have any faith at all, God comes near to the brokenhearted. In our culture, sometimes crazy people that want to have a good time will crash a wedding uninvited or they'll crash a party uninvited. God crashes funerals uninvited. He's a funeral crasher. Nobody has to ask him to come. Nobody has to say they want him to come. He just, he's drawn to the brokenhearted. He's drawn to those who are, life has broken them down. And he comes close. Very interesting. This is one of the very few miracles that is not initiated by a human asking, but God, God initiating it. So that was point one, the context. Here's point two. God sees the pain of a mom. It says in the NIV, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. Some of the other translations say, when he saw her, he felt compassion for her. In the midst of two crowds, Jesus sees her. Jesus sees people. And when, when he sees people, he sees something very different than what we see. The Bible says, 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks at the outward. We make our judgments completely based on just what we, the immediate facts. When God looks, he sees the heart. All things are laid bare before him. He sees the whole story. So when he sees this woman without even trying, he doesn't just see a a funeral going past with a, a, a guy on it. He knows this is a widow. He knows the story of how her husband died. He knows the unanswered, seemingly unanswered prayers when her, when her husband died. He knows the circumstances around her husband's death. This woman's already got one tragedy in her life. And now he, he, he knows that this is her only son. He knows the circumstances now around this death. He knows maybe that she, had, she knew there was a healer. She, had, she, she maybe had heard of Jesus' healing. And maybe she had wanted to go bring him, and, but, the, but she thought her son would get better. Oh, she, he knows everything. And of course, in her mind, it's too late now. Jesus, the rumor is, is is healing people. This is right at the beginning of his ministry, but nobody's been raised from the dead yet. This, this This is past that. He sees the condition of this woman's heart and everything she's going through. The Bible says in Matthew chapter nine, verse 36, that when Jesus saw the multitude, he felt compassion for them for... They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So he doesn't just see the physical difficulty, the outward problems that other people that wouldn't know her wouldn't know about, but he sees all of that. But he also sees the warfare that is around her. She is being harassed. Did you know that the enemy feeds on our pain? When we get into isolation, when we feel like God's against us, when we feel 
regret, like I could have done more, I could have, the enemy feeds on that. And she is being harassed. And he sees all of that. He sees every effort she's made to to resist the devil. Every effort she's made to to try to stay faithful to God, to not give in to the despair and the, the, the blame and the bitterness that is all around her. The Bible says this about the enemy, that he goes about like a roaring lion. It can be very loud in our ears. The, the despair, the fear, the blame, the regret, all of this. When Jesus sees us, he sees everything about our situation. And he doesn't feel judgment. He feels compassion. So in 1991, we lost my dad. And he was only 60 years old premature death, but my mom was an absolute trooper. <laughs> she, she was just solid. She cried, but she trusted God, and she was comforted by God, and she was turning to God in, in this loss, in this affliction, and she was just rock solid. And we went through it together, and life doesn't always promise the right thing, and we, but we, we get through difficulties. We've been through other things, and, and she made it through the loss of her husband. And, but then nine years later, my sister Sheila was 44 years old, and she died of cancer. And this time, it didn't go well. My mom went very dark. She had been a faithful Catholic all of these years, and she, because I'm in the ministry, and, and we were in, in Minnesota at the time, so I would only come back a couple times a year, but we would talk. I would talk about her spiritual life, and here's what she said. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking to God right now. I'm mad at him. God should have taken me, not Sheila. I still go to church. Catholics always go to church, but she's like, I'm not, I'm, I'm at, we're on bad terms right now. And uh, my mom, very funny woman. Anyway, um, a year goes past, and my sisters checked in, and my other brothers checked in, but no one knew what my mom was going through except God himself. It was way worse. We found out a year later, she told us, that she was at the point of suicide. She was at the point of taking her own life. And then she got into this support group for depression. She said it changed her life. No, my mom, the idea that my mom would be in a support group, it just was unthinkable. She was the strongest, most independent. We just, we help other people. People don't help us. But she got into this support group that saved her. Or rather, God saved her through a support group. You know, there is a story in the Bible. It's told in the book of Ruth of a woman named Naomi faithful Israelite. A famine came. She moved, her and her family moved to Moab. And when she got there, her husband died. But she still had two sons. And the two sons got married. And, and then a year, uh, actually, we don't know how long later, both sons die. And she is done. She's just done. She says, she says to her daughter-in-laws, um, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me, call me Mara. I'm, I'm bitter. God has forsaken me. God has judged me. And you can't, 
no one can help me. And so she hears this famine is over, so she's going to go back to Israel, and, and her, her daughter-in-law say they're, they're going to come with her, and she's like, please don't come with me. I'm bitter, so I'm really hard to be with. One and two. What am I? I'm not going to have sons that you can marry. Go, go back home. You're young. Get husbands. Get new husbands. Don't stay with me. And so Orpah, one of the daughter-in-laws, weeps and goes back. And um, and then it's Ruth's turn to go back. And Ruth, Ruth says, and this is one of the most powerful scriptures in the whole Bible. We use it at weddings all the time. And she says. Where you go, I am going to go. Where you die, I will die. Your God will be my God. May, may, may God see if anything but death separates you and me. And she stays with the one that's bitter. And they get back there and, and, and it turns out Ruth gets, ends up getting married to one of Naomi's relatives and, and they end up having a son named Obed and, and it, of course Obed is in the lineage of David and, and da 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 da. But here's what they say about Ruth. All of her friends, they say this about Ruth. Your daughter-in-law, Ruth, is better than seven sons. Her love that has healed you her love that has brought you back to God, brought you back to life, given you a, now a son in your old age. It's your grandson. She's better than seven sons. One of the early fathers said this, be kind. Everyone you know is in a fierce battle. Everyone around you that you think's got it going good and everything is awesome for them and why is their life so easy and my life so hard? You don't know the whole story. You don't know what keeps them up at night. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what other, you don't, you don't know. Be nicer to people. <laughs> if you had any idea of what was going on in people's lives, you would have less judgment in your heart and more just sheer kindness. We're all in this together, folks. We're all in this test called life. It, life is hard, but God is good. Because sometimes what happens, life is so hard. And the enemy is so good at what he does is people can't receive direct comfort from God anymore. They're not talking to him anymore. They don't even believe in him anymore. And so God will raise up you and me to go along, come alongside really difficult people and say, I want you to love them with my love. I, I love them. They're not even looking for me right now, but I love them. Because I see them. I see what's broken in them. I see how they're being harassed. I see the whole thing. And I want, you, I'm giving you an assignment to love them. God sees the pain of human beings. And, the, and this morning, mom, God wants you to know that he sees, he sees you. Sometimes when you're in a crowd, you feel the most lonely because there are so many people around. And, and some people will even ask, how are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? But they don't really want to know. And you're just like, oh, okay. And they're like, oh, good. I'm okay too. Da, 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 da. And we just go on. But God sees us in the midst of the crowd. He knows what keeps us up at night. So, so on Mother's Day, Mother's Day is an interesting day because for many, it's a, it's a celebration. And for others, it's a reminder of 
unresolved trauma with mom or mom's unresolved trauma with her kids. For some of us, our mom has already passed. So we're reminded that we don't have a mom on this earth anymore. God sees whatever you're in. For, for some, it's a reminder that I can't have kids. And, and we're married and we want to have kids, but we haven't been able to have kids. And we don't know why. And, 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 and so it's, that's painful. For others, it's um, I want to have kids, but I don't even have a husband. And God doesn't seem to be bringing the right guy. And where are all the guys, God? And could you bring one this way? And, and, and God sees that. God sees it all. God sees every, every person's pain, every person's trauma. And what he feels is compassion for us. He wants to come and help us. So that brings us to point three, last point. God changes the story of a mom. So this story has a huge change because the story in Jewish culture is this woman is cursed. First, she loses her husband and now she has lost her son. She has sinned. She is clearly under God's judgment. And even though we're going to her funeral, we're kind of gossiping about uh, behind her back because uh, what's wrong with her that this is all happening. And how many know that that story changed when her son got raised from the dead? That, that story got changed. It, it was a whole different story. Now her story was a story about the goodness of God. It was about God coming and doing something for me that only he could do. That story was told her whole life long. Her son told the story. Her son probably told about how he was, he, where he was and how he got called out and heard the voice. And it became a very, very different story that was being told. And here's the interesting thing about her story. It's still being told today. We're telling it right now. It, that story goes on and on and on. Whenever God intervenes with mercy, and does something that only God could do, it becomes part of your story. And it becomes, your story becomes not a tragedy, it becomes hope for other people. So there is a story in the Old Testament about Elijah. And Elijah, there's a time of famine in the land and God has him by this brook called Cherith and he's being fed by ravens and the brook dries up and God says, now I want you to go to this widow in Zarephath. So, so he is sent by God to this widow's house. She's had a tragedy. She's lost her husband and she has an only son. And the word Elijah brings is tell her to make a meal for you and you, you eat first. And so he goes and he makes this request and she's like, well, we really only have food for one more meal and you're going to take it. Are you kidding me? We have a little oil, a little flour, and then we're going to die. And he's like, make the meal. So in faith, she just makes this meal for the prophet. And then the word of the Lord comes, the, the, the oil and flour will never run out. And so there's this miraculous provision, amazing. And then while Elijah is still living in the house, the son gets sick and dies. And here's what she says to him. This is 2 Kings 17, verse 18. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? 
Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? She, she's like, I already knew I was a sinner. I already knew I, I deserve judgment. And now you have come here giving me this hope that, that somehow God is for me and that, and that things are going to work out good. And now while you're here, my son dies. And this is another instance where she does not ask for a miracle for her son. God initiates it. And Elijah says, where's that boy? And he goes up and finds him and lays on him and breathes into him. And, and he comes back from the dead and he presents her to his mom. And she says, uh, truly, there, there, there is a prophet in the land. Very much like when they said, True, a great prophet is among us. They're probably referencing Elijah and Elisha, which were the two Old Testament stories where somebody came, comes back from the dead. But the story changed. The story was one of judgment. The story of one of uh, my sinfulness. And the, the story changed. She told it the rest of her life. When Gehazi goes to the uh, king, he wants to hear the stories. And this is, this is what happens when God does something that only God could do. It says all through the land that the news about Jesus spread. There's someone in the land that does stuff that only God can do. He is the God of resurrection. He comes he, he doesn't just begin, this is right at the beginning of his ministry by raising somebody from the dead. This is also how he ends his ministry. His last miracle before the resurrection is raising Lazarus from the dead. And he comes and Lazarus has been dead now for four days. Martha meets him and says, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus says to, to Martha, your brother is going to rise again. Do you believe this? And she says, as a good Jewish girl, yes, he will rise again on the last day. This is what every Jew believed, that, that on, the very, on the judgment day, the, the righteous and the wicked would all be raised from the dead and there would be judgment on the last day. She is giving him Jewish doctrine. And Jesus' reply to that is this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if they die, will live again. And those that believe in me and live can have assurance they're never really going to die. I, I am the resurrection. Martha, I'm calling you. And then he says this, do you believe this? And she says, I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He was calling her from just believing in a religion to believing in a person to believing in Jesus as the resurrection, the Messiah, the one that can save us from our sins. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So my mom went many years, still going to church, but with this distance between her and God. Fear got into her life, and I would come and pray over her fear, but it was, it was bad. And then near the end, she got 
so weak that she had to stop going to church. And she was now, we moved her out of our apartment. My brother Mike built a room onto their house and she stayed in that room. It's about a mile from our house. And so, so it was one week before she died. Now, just so you know, the only, the only one that knew it was one week before she died was God. Because we thought she had years left, at least a couple of years. But God knew. It's one week before she dies. I walk over there. On, on Fridays, my day off, I would go over there and pay her bills. And we would talk through stuff and have time together. But I would always walk over there another time. And this is, this is the Wednesday before the Friday. And I walked over there and I said, Mom... I said, does does your priest come and serve you communion ever? And she says this, the Catholic church is mad at me because your brother Michael texts people in church. (laughs) Now, if you knew my mom, it's not like you can say, mom, that's ridiculous. If she believes something, it's it's just true. You're not going to, there's no sense of saying, mom, the Catholic church doesn't even know that mom is, Mike is texting in church. And, and the idea that they would withhold, you just, it doesn't work. You're not going to, you're not going to be in that argument. So we're just going to take that as if it's true. And I say, mom, would you like me to serve you communion? She said, Thomas, that would bring me great comfort, which is... (laughs) For a Protestant to give a Catholic communion, it just doesn't work in so many different ways. But she's past that. She's past that. That would bring me great comfort. I said, Mom, from now on, every Friday, we're going to have communion together. I'm going to go out today. I'm going to get the cupboard loaded up. We are going to have communion together every Friday. And so Friday came. Little do I know this is the only time we're going to have communion together. And I get to talk mom through the new covenant. She was very religious, but didn't really know that much. And whenever I tried to tell her something, she couldn't really hear it. But I got to talk her through what the new covenant is. That mom, the, the new covenant isn't made between you and God. It's made that because that would never work because we're flawed. He made the new covenant with Jesus, his son. Jesus said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, the new agreement between God and man. And here's how the new agreement works. I'm going to pour out my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. I'm going to take the judgment of sin on me. I'm going to shed my blood so all of your sins are paid for all at once. And then all you have to do is put your trust in me. All you have to do is make me your center. And I got, we got to do the bread together and I got to pray over the bread and then we got to do the cup and I got to give the explanation and we did the cup together and that Sunday night she fell and Mike called me and said, mom's had a, had a bad spill, there's broken bones. Diane and I are gonna be with her until 11 o'clock tonight, could you come in the early morning? And so I was there 5 a.m. Now we had no idea. Five hours from then she was gonna go into a coma and never wake up. What happened was the medication to lower her pain, her, her, her lungs were so vulnerable that the medicine, because she had signed something, I want to stay out of, I don't want to be in horrible pain. And so they gave her, they did just what she said, but it was, con- her, her lungs were so compromised that she was, she was going to die very quickly, but we didn't know that. So I got to sit there from 5 a.m. 
till probably 8 a.m. that morning alone. Everybody else started coming, holding mom's hand, and we got to talk about God together. I got to answer all of her questions, correct some things. She had, she had put Mary in such a high spot. I said, Mom, don't put Mary under all that pressure. Mary needed a Savior. She says it in the, in the Magnificat. She says that Jesus is my Savior. This is my Savior. Mary's just a person, Mom. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is both God and man. And I prayed and she prayed and she had me sing some songs. It was just it's just be long and the short is this. My mom was talking to God again. Her story was changed. And when, when you give your life to Christ, when you put your trust in Jesus, your story changes, not just for time, but for all eternity. 